Trump takes New Hampshire, and we have a poll. Now that it's Biden versus Trump, are you more or less hopeful about November? If you're watching us live right now in the chat room, we have a poll. Are you more or less hopeful about November now that it's Biden v. Trump? Your choices are more, less, or hopeful. Why start now? That's our question. I'll have the results at the end of the program. If you're watching us live, please join the chat room and fill out the poll. Well, speaking of polls, with 90% of the New Hampshire vote in, Trump has 160,356 votes to Nikki Haley's 126,194. That is, I believe... You know, 30,000 and change. That's the difference. Close. Not a mandate, certainly not from the Northeast. Trump got 54.9%, Haley 43.2%. It's 11 points, a little different from the 30% whopping he gave to. DeSantis in Iowa last week. DeSantis came in second, but he was 30 points behind. Here's the delegate count. Trump has 32 delegates. Haley has 17. You need 1,215. The smart money says Donald Trump is going to get the nomination. But a lot can happen between now and Super Tuesday. Who knows? You never know with somebody like Donald Trump. For example, I don't know, maybe a jury could find him guilty of rape or a special counsel somewhere could criminally indict him in four separate trials. Or I don't know, a judge can find him guilty of conning banks and lenders out of nearly $250 million in New York State. I mean, that that could happen. And if it did happen, then I think the landscape would be completely different. So, you know, this there's still a, a horse race. This is the mop-up for January 24th, 2024. I'm David Feldman. Please like this episode so I remain in your feed. And if you want to help me out, please share it. Immediately after January 6th, the Republican Party could have distanced themselves from Donald Trump. Instead, right after the smoke cleared and they went back into the chamber, eight Republican senators and 139 Republican House members still, after all that, voted against certifying the election for Joe Biden, which is why 66% of Republicans in Iowa last week and 50% of Republicans in New Hampshire yesterday said Joe Biden is not a legitimate president. Only days after the insurrection, 10 House Republicans voted to impeach Trump for the role he played on January 6th. Only 10 House Republicans voted to impeach Trump for the role he played on January 6th. And they're no longer there. They're gone. And when it went to the Senate, only seven Republican senators voted against him, 17 short of the necessary votes to have convicted Donald Trump, which would have then set the stage for another vote to prevent Trump from ever holding elective office again. Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the Senate, 
and Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, both knew who Trump was, what he was capable of. Their distaste for Donald Trump was no secret, but they lacked the courage to save their party and our country. So now, because of their cowardice, as of this morning, Donald Trump defied all expectations from just three years ago and is the putative nominee of the Republican Party. He is the Republican Party. Despite his abject failure as a leader, a husband, father, and human being, despite his crimes and tens of thousands of lies, Donald Trump is more powerful today than at any time since he first came down the escalator in 2015. I'm not going to say powerful, I'm going to say popular within the Republican Party. Any sentient Republican, yes, there are some, any sentient Republican knew by 2016 that Donald Trump was a cancer, but Republicans refused to remove it. They kept smoking and ignored the cough. So does anyone think his most vocal supporters right now in Washington, D.C. are happy this morning? Does anyone think Lindsey Graham is celebrating? Oh, I can't wait to sit on Donald's lap. You think he's happy? They all know who they're now working for and the debasement that will follow. Three divorces, an affair with a porn star after his third wife gave birth, a jury just found him guilty of raping E. Jean Carroll, a bully, a blowhard who celebrates violence, and yet the hard-right Christian nationalists see Donald Trump as the second coming of Jesus. He racked up more debt than any president, over $8 trillion dollars, He lost more jobs than any president since Herbert Hoover. The trade deficit under Donald Trump increased by 40%, and the stock market experienced its worst bear market since the financial collapse of 2008. And yet, bankers on Wall Street are lining up behind him. Right now, Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan says he's all in on Donald Trump. One million Americans died from COVID because he completely crapped the bed. The murder rate in America spiked 30% during his presidency. Hate crimes went up. Mass shootings hit new records. And yet millions of Republicans still insist life was better when Trump was president because he kept us safe. Those in charge of the party buckled. Nobody stood up to Donald Trump. And by the time Chris Christie summoned the courage to take him on, Chris Christie was no longer a governor and no longer relevant. For Christ's sake, three years ago, Chris Christie was Donald Trump's debate coach. Where were you? Even the bully of all bullies, Ron DeSantis, refused to take Donald Trump on. And now they are all stuck with an incredibly abusive leader who will light you on fire when you get too close. 
What is especially scary is that the people right now who are closest to Donald Trump are already on fire. Supplicants like Rudy Giuliani somehow think Trump has the power to put the fire out. But all he does is pour more gasoline on top of you. I am not, not going to make any predictions about November. I will say Trump is exactly who the Republicans are and always had the potential to become ever since Reagan completely rewired this party. He is allowing the Republican Party to make, to reach, fulfill its full potential in the model of Ronald Reagan. Like with climate change, Republicans refused to make any sacrifices, any sacrifices when it came to dealing with Trump. They just kept ignoring a problem that was impossible to ignore, hoping upon hope that the threat would magically take care of itself. It didn't. And now a sea of Trump is washing over the entire Republican Party this morning with only one of two possible outcomes awaiting all of us in November. The end of the Republican Party or the end of our country. Can't have both. Can't have America and Trump's iteration of the Republican Party. He will destroy both if we let them. Let's hope he destroys the Republicans and not the rest of us so we can start anew. Tuesday night, Donald Trump took New Hampshire, and it didn't take long. The moment the polls closed, Donald Trump was declared the winner. We're now down to a two-man race heading into November, Joe Biden versus Trump. And this is now going to be the longest general election in U.S. history. Jonathan Swan reporting from Trump's official watch party at the Sheraton in Nashua, New Hampshire, took a picture of this well-heeled guest, George Santos. And I have this video from The Guardian. The Guardian provided us with this. It's George Santos being asked for selfies at the party, being treated like the show business royalty he is. George Santos is the only is only the sixth United States House member and first Republican ever to be expelled from Congress. So he belongs at this Trump celebration. He's probably going to prison unless Trump pardons him. You know, at a Trump celebration, there's no such thing as a disgraced person because Donald Trump is disgraceful. He's the only president to be impeached twice and lead an insurrection. A lot of record breakers parting Tuesday night in Nashua, New Hampshire. How many outstanding bench warrants for spousal abuse can you possibly squeeze into one ballroom? Last night at Trump headquarters in New Hampshire, we found out. We're hearing preliminary reports of a very large turnout in New Hampshire with as many as 322,000 coming out to vote which is a far cry from last week in Iowa, where below freezing weather made it one of the Iowa caucus's smallest voter pools ever recorded. 
In Iowa last week, Trump ended up with 51% of the Republican vote with only 15% of all registered Iowa Republicans showing up. So he didn't do that great. 51% of the Republican vote with only 15% of all registered Iowa Republicans showing up. So while Trump beat second-place finisher DeSantis by 30 points, it also tells us there's a large segment of Republicans, certainly in Iowa, who ain't going to vote for him in November. Many Haley supporters in Iowa said that if she didn't get the nomination, they would vote for Joe Biden. Joe Biden, Joe Biden wasn't even on the ballot in New Hampshire. And he got 67% of the vote in the Democratic primary Tuesday night. He wasn't even running in New Hampshire because New Hampshire has been relegated uh, as an also-ran so that South Carolina's primary can be the new make-or-break state. But as a write-in candidate in New Hampshire, he got 67% of the vote. Pretty good. We're seeing Trump with a little more than 50% of the vote in New Hampshire. Haley looks like she came in behind by, I don't know, 12 points. We'll see when it's all tallied. Clearly, the Republican Party is not all in on Trump. One exit poll shows 32% of New Hampshire Republicans identifying as MAGA. Only 32%. New Hampshire Republicans identify as MAGA. A CBS exit poll shows 47% of Republican voters saying if convicted, Trump should be disqualified from serving as president. The New Hampshire exit poll uh, at first suggested it would be much closer than it turned out to be. Still, all things considered, Trump doesn't look that strong. Now, Trump accused DeSantis of voter fraud in Iowa, and yesterday he accused Democrats of crossing party lines to vote against him in New Hampshire. Guess what? I know it's hard to believe, but that's a lie. Registered Democrats are not allowed to vote in New Hampshire. Unregistered voters are. Unregistered voters are allowed to participate, and according to new polling, half the people showing up yesterday defined themselves as independents That could spell trouble for Trump in November because the New York Times says 40% of the entire electorate in New Hampshire is independent. So does anyone think Trump actually did well in New Hampshire last night? Yes, he proved he can probably win the nomination, but he's got an uphill battle finding votes for November, especially from people in his own party. We have a poll going on in our chat room. If you're watching me live right now, please join our chat room. Now that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are the presumptive nominees, are you more or less hopeful about November? You have three choices, more, less, or hopeful. Why start now? New Hampshire is a northeastern state, but it's not predictably blue like Vermont or, say, Massachusetts. Hillary narrowly beat Trump in 2016 by five-tenths of a percentage point. Hillary 
squeaked out a win in New Hampshire in 2016, beating Trump by five-tenths of a percentage point. But by 2020, Trump no longer benefited from being an unknown quantity, and so Biden destroyed him by more than seven points in New Hampshire. See how this works? So in 2024, Trump is now even more of a known quantity. He's no longer a mystery. He lost in 2020 because we knew exactly who he is. He lost by 7 million votes because everybody knew who he was. And during the past three years, he's confirmed who he is and gotten worse. So I don't see him winning by a huge margin. I see him as very weak. But what do I know? Here he is attacking Nikki Haley last night for not dropping out, calling her a fraud, saying she's full of it. Well, you know, he didn't want to say full of it. He used a different term, a more elegant term. I find in life you can't let people get away with bullshit, okay? You can't. You just can't do that. You can't let people get away with bullshit. Rape or an insurrection, knock yourself out. But bullshit, no, no, says the bullshit artist of all time. He's like the Picasso of bullshit artists. This is how a president of the United States talks to a national audience. Please, President Trump, go on, former President Trump, go on and debase Nikki Haley. And when I watched her in the fancy dress, that probably wasn't so fancy. Wasn't so fancy. The fancy, you know, I actually, when he said that, I, at my heart, I felt something for Nikki Haley. Uh, the dress wasn't so fancy. This is the populist the man of the people making fun of where Nikki Haley shops for her clothing. Maybe you'd like to take her to Bergdorf Goodman. Have her try on some clothing like you did in 1996, convicted rapist Donald Trump. And then it was time for Donald Trump to do what he does best, project, project his fears onto others. We are going to win this. We have no choice. If we don't win, I think our country is finished. I do. I believe our country is finished. Projection. You're finished. If you don't win, you are finished. Prison, bankruptcy, you are finished. But please, please go ahead, Mr. President. Tell us more lies. The reason we have support is because they are so bad at what they're doing, and so evil, and they're destroying our country. I shouldn't call him Mr. President. I apologize, Mr. Ex-President. So he says Biden is so bad at what he's doing. How do you explain his ability to lie this way about the job that Joe Biden is doing? How can he get enough Republicans to believe something like that when Everybody else knows everything is palpably better under Joe Biden. 
He said this last night on the very same day the S&P 500 hit its third record high in a row. The stock market, if you care about those things, is at record highs. So how does he get away with saying that life was better when he was president? COVID is no longer a national emergency, thanks to Joe Biden. Nobel Prize winning economist Paul Krugman, writing in the New York Times, says consumer sentiment, how, how people feel about the economy, he says it's been politicized and it's now predicated on who you voted for. It gets now to tribalism. Krugman says study after study shows that when Americans are asked how they think the economy is performing, they will say it's great when their candidate is in office, horrible if their candidate isn't. So with the country, you know, divided, Biden beat him by 7 million votes. But, you know, let's say the country is divided. Nearly half of us are going to ignore data when asked how we think the economy is under Joe Biden. We're going to, not me, but if you're a Republican, you're going to ignore the data uh, if you voted for Trump. Numbers don't lie, however. Trump lies, Fox News lies, and voters, Republican voters, lie to themselves. In the past, so what is going on? So why don't Americans feel that the economy is better now than it was three years ago. Again, half this country can't come up with $500 for an emergency. Half this country. But the economy is still better than it was during Trump. So in the past, I've said Biden probably has a messaging problem. That's conventional wisdom. He's unable to articulate how great a job he's doing. Again, Record growth. Uh, inflation is down, almost down to 2%. No sign of a recession. He's created more jobs than any president in American history. Whereas Donald Trump is the only president of the United States to have left office with fewer jobs, fewer people working than when he took office. And people say, well, he gets a mulligan because of COVID. No, this isn't golf. You got to sink your putt. And he crapped the bed on COVID. It's like you're going to use COVID as an excuse for, for, you know, I was a good president except for COVID. You were a horrible president because of COVID. Okay. There's no sign of a recession. It's the best economy since the 1960s and more equal than it was in the 1960s. So this is the longest stretch of the lowest unemployment since the 1960s and it's more equal than it was in the 60s. I know. Paul Krugman, the Nobel, Nobel and Nobel prize-winning uh, columnist for the New York Times, points out that as bad as things are right now, that he admits things are bad, they are incredibly better than they were 60 years ago, especially for blacks. 
In the past three years, Biden has thinned the economic divide between blacks and whites, with more black people realizing their earning potential than ever before. But Krugman points out that Republicans are constitutionally incapable of acknowledging things could possibly be better now than they were under Trump. Because their whole identity, he, he doesn't say this, but their identity is wrapped around voting for Trump and owning the libs. At best, what you, the best you can hope for, he says, with the Republicans, is they are willing to join the majority of Americans who right now say they themselves are financially better off than they were three years ago but they're seriously concerned about the country's finances. The general consensus, when you look at President Biden's low approval ratings and people ask about the economy, a majority of Americans are now saying, I am better off than I was under Trump, but the country is not. Interesting. So that's... Uh, the politicization of consumer sentiment. And it's where things stand this morning. A majority of Americans acknowledge that they are more financially secure than they were three years ago, but they don't think the economy is doing well. Again, why is that? Because they are being influenced not by their rational mind, but by tribalistic propaganda. Krugman says, however, that this information, this data, bodes well for Joe Biden because he only has to win over the independents. He doesn't need to win the morons who vote for Donald Trump. He just has to win over the independents and keep the Democrats who voted for him last time. So Haley is not dropping out. Here she is in New Hampshire after placing second. The other day, Donald Trump accused me of not providing security at the Capitol on January 6th. (laughs) Now, I've long called for mental competency tests for politicians over the age of 75. Trump claims he'd do better than me in one of those tests. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. But if he thinks that, then he should have no problem standing on a debate stage with me. So Trump is deteriorating Uh, His verbal gaffes are getting worse. But I still think he's pretty sharp. All things, I mean, how would you do if you were running for president and trying to stay out of prison? So a new Washington Post poll shows Americans believe Joe Biden to be more trustworthy than Donald Trump. But at the same time, Americans believe that Donald Trump is more mentally fit than Joe Biden. More Americans find Joe Biden trustworthy, but they think Donald Trump is more mentally fit. And now Haley is using Trump's gaffes as a major part of her campaign message. Sarah Matthews was Trump's White House Deputy Press Secretary. 
she expressed she expressed concern yesterday about her former boss's inability to speak properly. She told the Huffington Post, Nikki Haley is, is right for bringing up Donald Trump's old age. And she says that it, it should have been brought up long ago. Why did she wait so long? Asks Sarah Matthews, Donald Trump's White House Deputy, Deputy Press Secretary. The Biden campaign, which has been on the receiving end of Trump jibes about Biden's age and verbal flubs, are now seizing on Trump's weakness, collecting the former president's gaffes and running them in ads throughout social media. So this will not be a campaign about policy. This will be a, an election about Donald Trump, who has been making Mistakes in the past couple of weeks, Trump referred to Hamas as hummus. He said Hungary was on the border of Russia. It's not. He said Hungary was on the border of Ukraine. It's not. He praised one of his favorite authoritarians, Viktor Orban, as the leader of Turkey. He's not. He's the leader of Hungary. And he repeatedly confuses Joe Biden with Barack Obama. But to be fair, all Democratic presidents look alike. While speaking in Sioux City, Iowa, Trump called the town Sioux Falls, which is in South Dakota. Aaron Blake, writing in the Washington Post, says that Trump's series of verbal flubs in New Hampshire now opens the door for voters to conclude that both candidates are too old to be president. But you don't have a choice. This is the menu. So you have to choose between somebody who you think might be a little slow on the uptake, like Joe Biden, who I don't think actually is. I think being president of the United States is, can be tiresome. Uh, or you have to pick somebody who's immoral. I'll take somebody who's a little tired over somebody who's a rapist. Donald Trump is... You know, it, I get... Uh, a couple of platforms are upset that I've called Donald Trump a rapist. The judge in the E. Jean Carroll trial three times put into writing that a jury last year found Donald Trump guilty of rape in common law parlance. But certain platforms are already beginning to say, we don't like you uh, saying that. The normalization of a rapist in America. Well, besides confusing Nikki Haley with Nancy Pelosi several times in a speech, Trump, in other appearances, seems out of it, slurring his speech and rambling incoherently. So Trump needs 1,215 delegates to put a lid on the nomination Amber Phillips, writing in the Washington Post, says even though the primary season continues all the way into June, some are now saying he should have it all by March 12th. Does anybody doubt that? Does anybody think Nikki Haley? I mean, (laughs) what? As I said at the top of the show, 91 criminal indictments, a jury finds him guilty of rape, what, what, 
So it's not, there's nothing he can do. Nothing he can do. It's now a two-man race. Joe Biden leads Trump in Pennsylvania by eight points in a new Susquehanna research poll. And as I keep reminding you, and this is really important, so you calm down, Biden just needs to win three of five states that Hillary failed to win, but he did. And those three states are Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. He just needs to win Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. He's got 272 electoral votes. Now, Wisconsin could be a problem. Then he just needs to win either Georgia or Arizona again. He won Georgia and Arizona in addition to Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Those are the five states he won that Hillary did not. Now, Axios is reporting this morning that the Biden administration is relieved that the primary season is over, and they welcome the presumptive nominee to be Donald Trump. They're thrilled that Donald Trump will be on the ballot. They think he's easy to beat. They beat him already. The Biden campaign reportedly has internal metrics showing that much of Biden's lagging approval ratings can be attributed to Americans assuming that Donald Trump wasn't going to get the nomination, that they would have another choice. But they don't have another choice. Now that New Hampshire has sealed it, for all intents and purposes, the Biden administration is looking at polling that reveals when presented with a stark choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, likely voters will either embrace Joe Biden or, short of that, stay home on Election Day. So people are either going to vote for Joe Biden, especially independents, or if they hate him that much, the metrics show they'll just stay home on Election Day. Like I said, with Trump in the race, this is not going to be a campaign about issues. It's going to be about Trump's crimes and the lies he spews about Joe Biden. And the Biden White House is said to be welcoming this type of scrutiny. So unfortunately, it won't be about climate change, Medicare for all, the PRO Act, raising the minimum wage. Instead, it's about Trump. It's exactly what the ruling class wants. And never forget, I'm voting for Joe Biden, but he's part of the ruling class. Voting for him, I think he could be the most consequential president since Lyndon Johnson. I'm voting for him. Uh, He's lifting millions out of poverty. Uh, But he is an instrument of the ruling class. It's why he got the nomination and Bernie didn't. I know who I'm dancing with. I'm I'm not an idiot. Well, I am. Start paying. I am an idiot. I, I sometimes get sentimental about this country. Start paying attention to this term. This is gonna, you're going to be hearing this a lot. This is the term Biden District House Republican. Biden District 
House Republican. These are newly elected Republican members of Congress who come from districts Joe Biden won in 2020. So most of them arrived in 2022. I guess some of them made it uh, in 2020. Right now, there are 17 Biden District House Republicans. Again, these are newly elected Republican members of Congress who come from districts that Joe Biden won in 2020. They come from purple districts, not deep red, right? And there are 17 Biden District House Republicans. Last year, all 17 moved cautiously, fearful that voting to impeach Joe Biden would antagonize their constituents. They are the ones less likely to support a government shutdown. And because they don't come from deep red districts, they are less likely to sidle up to the Freedom Caucus. There would be no Freedom Caucus without members of Congress who don't have to worry about re-election. Everybody who is a member of the Freedom Caucus, comes from a deep, deeply red district. Axios is reporting this morning that Joe Biden district House Republicans sat on the sidelines during the primary season. But now that it's over, like everybody else, they're beginning to fall in line. Congressman Nick Lalata of Long Island, New York, became the first Biden District House Republican to endorse Donald Trump. Axios reports that California Republican John Duarte is about to endorse Trump, even though Biden carried Duarte's district by 11 points. So as I keep saying, keep an eye on these specific members of Congress. Biden District House Republicans and ask yourself as they begin to endorse Trump, and they probably all will, why are they endorsing Trump? Are they endorsing Trump because they think they can ride his coattails as down-ticket candidates? Or is it fear-based? I suspect it's fear-based. And that means they're not reading any polling that shows a growing appetite for Donald Trump. They are afraid of Donald Trump. Donald Trump primary challenging them or just trashing them because in the end, it's all about Trump. He'd like to win the House, keep the House, but it's all about loyalty. It's all about loyalty. Right now, his puppet, Speaker Mike Johnson, has the slimmest majority in history No Republican speaker in American history has ever held so small a hold over the House. Two votes. Two votes he's got right now. That's because Steve Scalise is uh, getting stem cell treatment. Uh, Our friend George Santos uh, was kicked out. And uh, Ohio Congressman Johnson uh, quit to go run a university. So you got the smallest, the slimmest majority ever for a Republican, and you have 17 vulnerable House seats, Biden District House Republicans, 17. 
Plus, in Mike Johnson's home state of Louisiana, the state legislature went against his wishes and voted to approve a new voting map for the fall that creates another majority black district in Louisiana. That means they now have two, and this new majority black district means that seat will flip from red to blue. A lot of maps have been redrawn by court order last year, and for the most part, they don't favor the GOP. So there's a good possibility Republicans are going to lose the House. Actually, as (laughs) I've pointed out, they'll be lucky if they keep the House before the election. They lose two more members of Congress. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries could become Speaker. So, like I said, we could be looking uh, at Trump, with Trump being on the ballot. What we're looking at is either the end of our country or the end of the Republican Party. That is what I think we're looking at in November. Either the end of our country or the end of the Republican Party, or at least the Republican Party as we know it, and the end of our country as we know it. These things, you know, Rome didn't fall in one day. So it wasn't built in a day and it didn't fall in a day. One day you wake up and go, hey, uh, what are we doing here in Constantinople? You know, you don't notice. It's the lobster in the boiling water. The E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuit picks up tomorrow. It was postponed on account of Donald Trump's COVID. You know, they should call it Donald Trump's disease in honor of him. I can't believe we, we don't call it Donald Trump's disease. Let's start calling COVID Donald Trump's disease. Uh, so there was no trial. He didn't want to testify anyway. Instead, he took to social media and defamed E. Jean Carroll at least 44 times like in one burst at two in the morning he went on social media and began trashing a rape victim he's ordered someone to go through Eugene carroll's twitter feed to prove he didn't rape her why because according to donald trump she's a harlot Eugene carroll is a smart funny woman and brave And she wrote for Saturday Night Live, among other things. She wrote for Saturday Night Live. She's a humorist. And just because you raped her in 1996, Donald Trump, that doesn't mean you're going to take away her sense of humor. You monster. You monster. This is one of the tweets he posted to prove that she's a sexual predator who was what? What? What is the implication here? She was asking to be raped because she tweeted in June 20, on June 29th, 2018. This is uh, big dick energy. Obama's got it. Putin's got it. Max, Maxine Waters got it. Who's on your big dick energy list? So... Perfectly harmless for Twitter. Does, that, that's what Trump reposted as proof, I guess, that 
she deserved to be raped or she raped him because she's funny and powerful and is willing to joke about sex. South Carolina Senator Republican Tim Scott is officially engaged to be married. That is so gay. That is so gay. Announcing that you're engaged to be married, Tim Scott. That is so gay. Scott was a candidate for the Republican nomination for president until he dropped out and then threw his support behind Donald Trump last week. He is a devout Christian. He says proudly that he was a virgin until his mid-30s, and Republican donors said they wanted to see him with a woman. They were concerned that he's in his late 50s and he's never been married. And he said, I have a girlfriend. I'm not gay. I have a girlfriend. Well, can we see her? Well, (laughs) we found out why Tim Scott didn't want to show the donors his fiance because he's black and she's white. And so, yeah. <laughs> the donors kept saying, literally, prove you're not gay by showing us your girlfriend. And he, he was thinking privately, you're not going to like this. <laughs> you're not going to like this. Well, Scott is 58. This will be his first divorce coming up, what, two years? He'll be divorced in two years. Matt Gates, the Republican firebrand who single-handedly destroyed Kevin McCarthy by being the only member of Congress brave enough to introduce a motion to vacate the chair, is in trouble. Now, remember, a lot of Republicans now are saying they're, they're fed up with Mike Johnson and they would support a motion to vacate the chair. None of them is going to do what Matt Gates was willing to do and introduce the motion to vacate the chair. Matt Gates is dangerous. ABC News reports this morning that the House Ethics Committee has reopened an investigation into Matt Gates's relationship with a close friend who is now serving 11 years in prison for sex trafficking a minor and wire fraud. The Justice Department dropped its investigation into Gates last year, but the Ethics Committee is reportedly contacting many of the witnesses interviewed by the FBI. Responding to news that the probe has been reopened, Matt Gates said, quote, it's nice to see the Ethics Committee doing something <laughs> besides trading stocks. That's what he said. Uh, I don't like him, but he's pretty clever. He really got under Kevin McCarthy's skin. He always had a clever rejoinder. This is the mop-up for January 24th, 2024. Thank you for finding me. I'm David Feldman. I hope you're warm and fed on this cold morning. I want to remind you, this is an audio podcast. Take me with you. On your next drive, your next walk, if you're taking care of somebody, if you're cleaning somebody's kitchen, listen to the show and leave a, a comment or a correction, a, a correctment, 
I have a lot of corrections to make. And as I always ask you, if you're enjoying any part of this, please like this episode so I remain in your feed. And of course, share this episode. If I've made any mistakes, please, in the comments section, point them out. I do make mistakes on this program. Dexter Scott King, the youngest son of Martin Luther King, has died at the age of 62 following a nearly three-year battle with prostate cancer. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution described him as the face of Dr. King's legacy. Dexter King served as the CEO of the King family's estate and protected his father's intellectual property. He also served as chairman of the King Center, set up by his mom, Coretta, immediately following his father's assassination. The King Center is devoted to nonviolent change, teaching organizers in Georgia how to get out the vote and how to harness the thirst for progress and transform it into nonviolent political action. Nonviolent political action. Dr. King's birthday was celebrated in this country as a national holiday a week ago, Monday. Since the assassination of Dr. King in 1968, more Americans have died from gunshots than all the American soldiers who fell on the battlefield, starting from the Revolutionary War all the way up to Iraq, Afghanistan, and beyond. Let me repeat that. More Americans since 1968 have died from gunshots than all our American soldiers who fell on the battlefield, starting from the Revolutionary War all the way up to Iraq, Afghanistan, and beyond. California passed major gun control legislation in 1967 after Black Panthers showed up inside the state capitol brandishing rifles. And then more gun control laws were passed nationally in 1968 following the assassinations of Dr. King and Robert F. Kennedy. But this is America and guns are big business. So while the crime rate in America dropped precipitously, some believe it dropped thanks to Roe v. Wade, decreasing the number of unwanted children born into abusive families. But despite the crime rate dropping precipitously year after year, the National Rifle Association, in the service of gun manufacturers, convinced a large swath of the nation that the country was less safe, that the police can't protect you, that the government is your enemy trying to confiscate your weapons in order to exert total authority over you so you need to buy a gun. Well, most Americans were and still are smart enough to see through this corporate propaganda designed to sell guns. That's why states like Massachusetts, Hawaii, New Jersey, New York, and Rhode Island all passed strict gun laws and now have the lowest number of gun deaths per capita in the country. But over time, other states loosened gun restrictions and began passing laws allowing people to carry in public. 
States like Mississippi, Louisiana, New Mexico, Alabama, and Wyoming have some of the laxest gun laws in America and also the highest per capita number of gun homicides. It's hard to think of anyone who stained the memory of Dr. King more than Wayne LaPierre. I mean, there are many, but Wayne LaPierre is up there. Using racist dog whistles, Wayne LaPierre sold guns by lying about soaring crime rates. He relied on racist dog whistles. He convinced Americans that black people were all caring, so white people had to carry as well. Today, because of this, black people are three times more likely to get shot and killed by a cop than a white person because our cops have been brainwashed into thinking every black man is carrying a gun. Thank you, Wayne LaPierre. The NRA should be called the National Racist Association. The NRA was all in on gun control after those Black Panthers exercised their Second Amendment rights in 1967, walking through the state capitol with rifles. But by 2020, at the height of the peaceful Black Lives Matter protests, Salon reports that the NRA resorted to flagrant racism. Instead of condemning the shooting of unarmed black men by police, the NRA came to the defense of the cops and compared Black Lives Matter to ISIS and even worse, the Nazis. I've been over this, and I'm not going to do it now, but I'll go over it in the future. The Black Lives Matter protests were peaceful, were peaceful. People only got hurt when the police showed up and turned it into a police riot or when somebody like Kyle Rittenhouse showed up with AR-15s. But there's not a single shred of evidence of Black Lives Matter protesters setting fire to a building hitting or punching anybody. The cops, read the Washington Post reporting on this, read the New York Times reporting on this. Those protests didn't get violent until the cops showed up. And here in New York, began driving their cars, patrol cars, into the protesters and worse. Not going to talk about it right now. Because I got <clears throat> some really more fun things to talk about. This is, you know, I like I liked to give good news. I know sometimes it gets a little heavy here. I got a chip on my shoulder. But I got some good news. The head of the NRA's head is shrinking. The head of the NRA's head is shrinking. Actually, it's his brain. His, his brain is shrinking. Could it get any smaller? Wayne LaPierre's brain is shrinking. So says his attorney in the New York State civil fraud trial against the gun rights organization, accusing LaPierre of stealing as much as $45 million from donors. 
LaPierre, who stepped down from the organization two weeks ago, he's still running it. He announced he's leaving it on January 31st. He's still in charge. And he's slated to testify sometime this week. But his attorneys are requesting flexibility in a schedule due to brain shrinkage associated with Lyme disease. Yes, Wayne LaPierre is suffering from Lyme disease, which you get from deer. The head of the number one champion for deer hunters is dying of Lyme disease. And who says deer don't fight back? I mentioned this for any of my listeners who still don't believe there's a God. Wayne LaPierre is dying of Lyme disease. His lawyers, he's not dying of Lyme disease, but he's trying to get out of testifying. His lawyers say the Lyme disease has left LaPierre feeling completely drained, just like the bank accounts for the National Rifle Association after LaPierre and his wife enjoyed spending sprees on Rodeo Drive and vacations in Lake Como. How did Wayne LaPierre contract Lyme disease? It's not like he's a woodsman. Stalk and pray. He wouldn't want the mud to get on his capizios. Lawyers for LaPierre say his brain is experiencing significant cerebral volume loss. If it gets any smaller, he'll start donating to the National Rifle Association. Lawyers say his family has a history of dementia. Yeah, Wayne LaPierre's family has a history of dementia, which will come in handy for Wayne's golden years when he won't be able to look back at his life and remember the hundreds of thousands of Americans who would still be alive today if he weren't a shill for the gun manufacturers. Lucky you to go into the twilight with dementia. You won't have to remember who you really are and what you've done to this country. Well, like I said, the 70-year-old LaPierre is still in charge of the NRA. He wraps up his nearly four-decade rule over this murderous organization on January 31st, but he continues to pen screeds on the NRA's website, insisting that the government is coming for your guns. Well, Wayne, it looks like the government is also coming for your ill-gotten nest egg, too. They're coming for your money, Wayne. They want you to pay the National Rifle Association back. LaPierre is an ardent opponent, as we know, of an assault weapons ban. He says guns keep, keep us free from the prying eyes of our government. We don't want an assault weapons ban because it protects us from an overly intrusive government. Instead of an assault weapons ban, Wayne LaPierre says gun violence would be reduced dramatically if the government kept a national database of Americans who suffer from mental illness. Yeah, that's a good way to keep us free from the prying eyes of an overly intrusive government. Cops having access to my medical files. 
I am stunned by how little coverage this trial is receiving. It's, it's incredible. It pulls the Band-Aid off and exposes precisely why 50,000 Americans die each year from gun violence. It's all about money. All about profits. People like Wayne LaPierre have taken the Second Amendment and turned it into an advertising slogan for the weapons manufacturers who, like any business, must increase profits each quarter by finding new markets or victims. Assault weapons are a growth industry thanks to people like Wayne LaPierre whose solution to gun violence has always been more guns. There's a mass shooting at a school, sell guns, arm the teachers, arm the students, and you better stock up on more guns and ammunition so you'll have some left when the government comes and takes it all away from you. I don't believe there's a devil, but if there is a devil, it's Wayne LaPierre. Three years ago, wait, some of you already know this story. Three years ago, video surfaced of LaPierre on a hunting trip in Botswana trying to shoot an elephant back in 2013 as part of a documentary the NRA was making about whatever. They wanted to portray Wayne LaPierre as a sportsman. He isn't. According to The New Yorker, Wayne LaPierre displayed the marksmanship of Mr. Magoo, the video of him in Botswana on an elephant hunt. Devil. Only the devil goes on an elephant hunt. The video shows what a poor marksman he is, literally unable to shoot an elephant that was already wounded on the ground and dying. LaPierre's inability to finish off the elephant properly was deemed inhumane by hunters who saw the video and said he violated the ethical codes of the very organization he was running. Originally, the NRA was all about ethical hunting, learning how to use a rifle, not killing anybody. Wayne LaPierre turned it into a trade association for gun makers. On this video, LaPierre fires four times at the wounded elephant, but keeps missing. The guide, the safari guide, can be heard on the video laughing and saying, I have no idea where you're aiming. This is the head of the National Rifle Association. Another video shows LaPierre's wife, Susan, killing an elephant successfully. She's a much better shot. And on the video, to celebrate her kill, she cuts off the elephant's tail and waves it in front of the camera, shouting victory. The Washington Post reports that the African forest elephant killed by Susan LaPierre has seen a decline in population by 60% in the last 50 years. You know, I'm a hateful, bitter, vindictive 
person. Who would kill an elephant? Who would kill an elephant? Some things I understand. Killing an elephant. Well, Wayne LaPierre has been right all along about one thing. There are bad people in this world we need to be protected from. Wayne and Susan LaPierre. In a letter to the judge, Wayne LaPierre's doctor, Rachel Markey, asked that Wayne be relieved of testifying or be given a shorter, be allowed to testify for a shorter time. She wrote that her client, Wayne LaPierre, suffers from, I'm going to read this slowly, uh, he suffers from copious physical and mental conditions such as cognitive dysfunction, enervation, fatigue, painful blurry eyes, cognitive impairment, brain-eye dissonance, dysomnia, malagias, malagias, M-Y-A-L-G-I-A-S, dysautonomia, dysautonomia, postural orthostasis, mononeuritis multiplex. I think I saw Barbie at the mononeuritis multiplex. Didn't do well with the Academy Award nominations. Supposed to do better. He's got dermatitis and headaches, unquote. You know what? That doesn't sound like Lyme disease to me. It sounds like he's got a guilty subconscious. He's got a guilty subconscious. All that stuff isn't from the Lyme disease. It's your body punishing you for the hundreds of thousands of Americans who died so you could sell guns and go to Lake Como and buy designer suits on Rodeo Drive. (sighs) The New York State trial against the NRA is going into its 11th day. Former NRA board president Carolyn Meadows testified under oath <clears throat> that she has no she had no idea that on her <coughs> excuse me <coughs> uh, maybe I have a guilty subconscious or maybe I'm just really happy Maybe all is well in the universe as I cover this story. Maybe everything my parents taught me about human nature has been borne out. Former NRA board president Caroline Meadows testified under oath this week that she had no idea that on her NRA fundraising trip to Paris... The NRA shelled out nearly $100,000 for black car limousines. Everybody had their hand in the till. 
Meadows testified that Oliver North, I'm sorry, Colonel Oliver North, became president of the NRA, a job that was honorary, which meant it paid nothing. So NRA TV, NRA TV was set up as a pass-through company so that North could be paid $2 million a year to host a television program in order, North reportedly claimed, to make up for the lost income after leaving Fox News to become honorary president of the NRA. These are pass-through companies. You know who Dana Loesch is? She hosted NRA TV. Nobody was watching it. It was a pass-through company, a shell company. NRA TV, according to the testimony, according to the New York State Attorney General, was set up by the advertising firm of Ackerman McQueen, which LaPierre is accused of using to run millions of dollars of personal expenses through. Ackerman McQueen, they were Washington, D.C., a Georgetown-based firm that got all its money from the National Rifle Association. And apparently, according to the DA, the NRA would give them close, I guess over time, $130 million to do public relations for the National Rifle Association. And they returned the favor by giving Wayne LaPierre an American Express card. On Tuesday, Oliver North testified in the civil fraud trial filed against the National Rifle Association. Now, North served briefly as president of the NRA from 2018 to 2019. He was courted by LaPierre. LaPierre said he desperately needed someone like Oliver North to help LaPierre be the face of the NRA. LaPierre wasn't the president. He was like the CEO North testified that as president, he began to delve into the finances and was stunned to discover that LaPierre was paying the NRA's law firm as much as $2 billion, $2 million a month by 2019. Well, after Oliver North began poking into the financials, LaPierre, according to North's testimony, told him, quote, stay in your lane. Stop doing this. Stop asking questions. Hmm. We'll be following this. A lot of people aren't interested in this trial. I don't know why. I don't know why. So we're going to follow this trial. Arizona Republican Congressman Paul Gosar is upset that the United States Army doesn't have enough white recruits. In a letter to supporters, Congressman Gosar warned of a new study showing the number of white soldiers has declined precipitously in the last five years. Congressman Gosar blamed it on the contagion of Marxist woke ideology that has infected our armed services. The congressman attributes the spread of wokeism to Marxists who are pushing wokeism on the military in order to drive out... (laughs) All the white people. Let me just give you a close-up. This is a United States congressman and a dentist. Would you let this guy put his fingers in your mouth? He's a dentist. And now a congressman from Arizona. Vice reports that groups like the Heritage Foundation 
are blaming the Biden administration for the growing ranks of Marxists in the military. Really, there's an epidemic of Marxists in our military. What's going on is conservatives are upset that after January 6, the Biden administration and the Pentagon decided to address our military's growing problem of right-wing extremism. In the past decade, multiple surveys show that more and more of our soldiers are being recruited and coming into contact with other soldiers, other soldiers who belong to right-wing extremist groups, right-wing extremist groups that target minorities and advocate for the overthrow of the United States government. Because so many of those extremist soldiers identify with extreme members of the Republican Party, Republicans in the House, and right-wing pundits and think tanks like the Heritage Foundation are accusing the Biden administration of conducting a Marxist purge of our military. See how it works? You want to get rid of the right-wing extremists, who uh, some of whom may have been there on January 6th, want to overthrow the government? Well, only a Marxist would want to get rid of soldiers who want to overthrow the government. Uh, These are the same members of the House who refer to the January 6ers who have been convicted of crimes against our government as hostages, hostages. Paul Gosar, besides being a dentist, has alienated much of his family who have called him unhinged. They recorded messages for Arizona voters urging them not to cast their ballot for their brother. Gerald McDonald Evoy with the Arizona Mirror has an expose revealing that two former staffers, two former staffers of Paul Gosar's office were groipers. Those are followers of self-proclaimed Nazi Nick Fuentes. Their social media posts, while working for Gosar, openly attack Jews, blacks, and women. Hunter Walker, reporting for Talking Points Memo, wrote in May of last year that Congressman Paul Gosar's digital director, Wade Searle, was a devoted follower of Nazi Nick Fuentes, who hosts the America First video podcast. Fuentes identifies openly as a neo-Nazi, a Christian nationalist who openly hates blacks and Jews. He's a Holocaust denier, uses the N-word, the K-word on his program, and calls for a return of the Inquisition. I'm sorry for laughing. Uh, But it's just so horrible. And he's, you know, would come for me. No surprise, he was a guest of Donald Trump's at Mar-a-Lago two years ago when they dined with Kanye West. He, President, ex-President Trump dined at Mar-a-Lago with Nazi Nick Fuentes. Talking Points says Fuentes was there on January 6th. Talking Points memo writes that Congressman Paul Gosar has appeared several times at Nick Fuentes' America First conferences 
and wrote a letter to the FBI on his congressional stationery urging the law enforcement agency to take Fuentes off their no-fly list. Well, Paul Gosar is from Arizona. Charlie Kirk, the head of the far-right hate group, Turning Points USA, is also headquartered in Arizona. He has one of the number one podcasts in America. All the politicians who want to get elected speak at a Turning Points USA conference. Here is Charlie Kirk yesterday on his podcast. I want to go thought crime? Like, I'm sorry, if I see a black pilot, I'm going to be like, boy, I hope he's qualified. Well, that's the you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have done that before. That's not an immediate. No, you wouldn't have done that who I am. That's not what I believe. It is the reality. See how it works. In the olden days, they they had no problem saying, if I see a black pilot, I think I hope he's qualified. And you'd leave it at that. But now they know how to spin things. So you say, well, that's not who I am. Like they, they catch themselves and deny they just said, watch this again. Want to go thought crime? Like, I'm sorry, if I see a black pilot, I'm going to be like, boy, I hope he's qualified. Well, that's the you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have done that. That's not an immediate. No, you wouldn't have done that who I am. That's not what I believe. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who the Republican Party is. Short of a stay of execution from Alabama Governor Kay Ivey, Kenneth Eugene Smith will die on Thursday from nitrogen hypoxia, which Alabama Solicitor General Edmund LeCour calls the most humane form of capital punishment ever devised. Yeah, let's take his word at it. Now, this will be the second time the state of Alabama tries to execute Smith. Back in November of 2022, Alabama Department of Corrections officials struggled for an hour trying to find a vein in order to administer an IV containing the death serum, all this while Smith was wide awake strapped to a gurney. America. This time around, Alabama is going to try nitrogen by placing a gas mask over his face while a corrections official opens the valve on a tank of nitrogen. Smith is expected to pass out after 45 seconds and be dead within 15 minutes. Well, last time they couldn't find a vein. I'd be surprised if Alabama prison officials could even find his mouth. Let's see if they can put, they know where the, the gas mask goes. After Smith was found guilty for a 1988 murder for hire, uh, he was sentenced to die. He was convicted of accepting $1,000 from a preacher to kill his wife, the preacher's wife, for her insurance. One week after the preacher's wife's death, the preacher took his own life, and then Smith, now 57, became the prime suspect. His jury recommended a life sentence, but the judge overruled them and said, nah, I'm sentencing him to death. Governor Kay Ivey is the only person who can issue a stay. It's going to be appealed, but uh, it can all stop if Governor Kay Ivey, Republican from Alabama, 
issued a stay. Her phone number is 334-242-7100. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey's phone number is 334-242-7100. And tomorrow, she will be killing, when you think about it, I mean, if you have the power to stop a killing, you're, you're an accessory uh, before the fact, uh, Kenneth Eugene Smith is scheduled to die tomorrow. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey's phone number is 334-242-7100. 334-242-7100. Don't be a jerk. Ask politely. And finally, California's largest newspaper, The Los Angeles Times is eliminating 100 jobs, the largest cutback in the paper's 142-year history. At a time like this, I mean, who needs newspapers and reporters? This is not good. Time Magazine is reportedly going to be laying off people this week. So is Sports Illustrated, which I think may be going out of business, and Vanity Fair is uh, laying people off. So uh, support your support good media. I'll, I'll give you a list of you know ProPublica uh, right there. You should be supporting. We have a poll, so let's go to the live chat room where our listeners are standing by. I hope they filled out the poll. Where am I? I, you know, I should. Here we go. Hi. Almost. Stuff. Hi, everyone. Pro- Thank you for being here. Um, take a dump. On, I mean, take a dump on Trump 2024. I like that. Nothing better than the newspaper. I'm just reading the chat room. Possums eat ticks. So don't eat possums. I think chickens do too, right? Don't chickens eat ticks? Uh, Okay. Okay. Uh, Just reading the chat room. Some of it I can't read. (laughs) Um, Hi, David. Lyme disease is transmitted by ticks. Ticks are found in grass, weeds, and weeds. They are becoming more prolific due to warmer temperatures. These are deadly tick-borne diseases in the U.S. Yeah, I, I kind of, but it, but deer, I mean, for the the purposes of, yeah. No, you're right, but I was trying to, we used to think you got it from deer. 1,130 votes. If you haven't voted yet, now's your last chance. If you're watching us live, Please join the chat room. By the way, thank you to Bob, who keeps the place civil. Uh, Here's the question. Now that it's Biden v. Trump, are you more or less hopeful about November? And your options are more, less, hopeful. Why start now? Well, this is interesting. 12% uh, say they are less hopeful. 27% said hopeful. Why start now? And 61% of the chat room 
is more hopeful. That's great. We're, we're ending on a positive note. I, I'm hopeful, too, that we're finally going to put an end to this United States experiment and <laughs> turn into a Hobbesian nightmare where every street corner is ruled by a warlord. That's what I've been... No, I think uh, I'm hopeful, too. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Do me a favor and like this episode so I remain in your feed and share this with your friends. Those are the, the, those are the two best ways to help. Like and share. Subscribe to my newsletter. Subscribe to this channel. Leave a comment. I read all your comments and I have some corrections that I'll get to later in the week. Thank you so much for being here for me, and I will see you probably Thursday night or Thursday morning or Friday morning. Thank you. 